Hey, this is the Bridging Realities Podcast with your hosts, Danielle Polgar and Eugenia Crock. Bridging the esoteric and the practical concepts of astrology into everyday life. We're happy you're hanging out with us and we hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bridging Realities. Welcome back. We're so happy to be talking to you all again and with you all again. It's lovely. Yeah. Uh, so I'm just going to say the elephant in the room. We have been attempting to start this podcast for <laughs> a while <Last> now. <laughs> Uh, but it's Mercury retrograde and, um, it's just a very beautiful example of how things can go a little haywire. And as our guest, uh, Lisa mentioned before with me that, you know, we've got the rising sign ruling, uh, Mercury ruling the rising sign of this conversation. So it's been like, ah, just really, um, challenging to get this together. So, but we did it and we, we did hope, it and we hope We're it here. goes well. Yeah. Crossing our fingers. Whew, crossing our fingers, holding our breath here. Yeah. So how are you doing, Danny? I'm good. I'm speaking of Mercury retrograde, I, I had uh did I did some research this week about um electional astrology for my own dental work. Because mm. I had a dentist appointment scheduled for next Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And I recognized, oh, wait, Mercury's retrograde. That's probably not the best idea. Mm. And I did some research. And, of course, you know, Mars being retrograde as well, Saturn being retrograde, ruling the teeth. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, not a good time. So <laughs> nice. I'm putting that off and Smart. Uh, waiting until after the retrograde shadow passes. Brilliant. Yeah. Power of astrology, right? Yes. Yeah, really, really awesome. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks Yeah, for how are you that. doing? I'm I'm good. I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm uh uh our guest today is also in Colorado and we're both in Denver at the moment and luckily it's stopped but it's been a dumping snow once again. So this is Crazy. now two like major snowstorms in the last um well, I guess two weeks maybe. But really since Mercury re- or uh, Mars went retrograde, we've had lots of snow here. So I've quite enjoyed it personally um because it's we actually got four feet where I live um up in the mountains and uh so we couldn't do anything nobody could do anything and it was actually nice I it was awesome it was a little weird because I'm so used to doing so much but it was it was lovely I thought yeah I bet I mean I talked to Randall about that last night with us moving to Santa Fe and Mm -hmm. he asked me about you know oh yeah what is it like in the winter time when it snows so much that, you, you know, schools are closed. It's like, yeah, it's just permission to be. Totally. And it's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well, really lovely. It's a different world out here in California. So <laughs> Yes, <exactly>. yes. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's gotten me to think actually quite a lot about Western astrology, I must admit. Um, I've been thinking about the the origins of Western astrology a lot lately uh, because I – you know, these, these, um, archetypes of the Zodiac and all of these different things, a lot of them are based on the natural seasons in the Northern hemisphere. Right. Um, and I think that most modern people, uh, definitely in America are a little out of sync with the natural seasons, because even though we're having them in Colorado more so than in, um, maybe California, uh, 
you know, you can still flip on an air conditioner in the summer and you can still flip on the heat in the winter. Um, and, and, and life doesn't really stop in America for any particular phase of the, the seasons. But where I live, I live a pretty pretty isolated in the mountains in a, in a little cabin cottage type situation. And it's uninsulated. I live in an uninsulated house with a very shitty, um, fireplace, I must admit, but that's how I heat my house. And I've started to notice that by living there for the last few years, I'm very, very in tune with the seasons at this point, because I, I'm literally living in them. I'm almost camping um, <laughs> in some respects. I bought a pretty junky house when when it when it when I got it, and it and so I'm I'm having to really be in tune with the season. And something I've noticed since we've moved into Taurus is that so during the winter, you know, everything's frozen and still, and th- there's no activity where I live. There's like no people. It, it's quiet. Um, there's no animals really. There's a few birds, but it's it's just very, very, very quiet. But now it's Taurus, and I've I I go to this park every day and um take a hike. And it, during the winter, it's just very I'm alone with my dog, and it's lovely, and it's actually very calming, and and I enjoy it. But all of a sudden, people are there now, and it's so funny because my natural instinct is like my arms go up, and I'm like, <gasps> Who are you? Where are you coming from? Like, am I safe? Because now there's people coming out and there's animals coming out. And it's really highlighting the sense of security that is related to Taurus. I'm noticing because I'm, you know, my senses are starting to be reinvigorated, right? Because I'm starting to see buds on the trees and I'm starting to smell things because things are thawing out. I'm starting to feel things because I don't have tons of layers of clothes on outside of the um, snowstorms. But it's this sense of security I'm really noticing because there aren't people there. But now that the summer's coming, people are coming to the mountains. And, you know, people from the city are like, yeah, let's go there. Let's get there. And it's just, I don't know, it's just like an observation I was eager to share because it's just another element of why these archetypes get the archetype that they get. Because when this practice was being developed, people were not living in insulated houses and they were not living with air conditioning and they were really much more in tune with the seasons and the natural habitat that was unfolding throughout the year. So I just wanted to name that. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was just talking to my client about that before we got on the phone together Mm. about not specifically the security with Taurus, but, you know, just the fact that using astrology as a way to reconnect with the natural world Mm -hmm. and, and how it really serves as a guide and a tool to better, um, you know, understand our relationship to life. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think it gets us to start thinking and observing, um, in a different way. So when we're in Aries, we can observe the energy that it's like, we're starting to feel energy and we can observe in the summer at Leo time that it's just like, ah, there's so much going on. And as we observe it, we can have an understanding that this is just what it is. So for example, we are aware it's mercury retrograde and it has to get typed up and all that stuff. But Lisa was just saying before, like, well, it's good to be an astrologer because we're kind of expecting some kind of uh, technical difficulties <laughs> attempting this podcast today. So there is a really neat part that it does. It forces us back into nature, into cycles and patterns and and our placement within within the whole system. So, 
And also just being present to what is, yeah. because not everything is always going to function smoothly. You know, life has its ebbs right. and flows and this, you know, being aware of it can at least give us permission to recognize like, okay, well, yeah, things that might not flow very easily, or this might not be the time to begin, you know, contracts or whatever, but, um, you know, we can kind of sink into a different relationship with how, I don't know, life is unfolding or something. So, right. And that's okay to stop, especially with the West, you know, the, the, the American culture, that's just so go, 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 go. Like I was just speaking, um, I just gave a little webinar or whatever with a soul who's the astrologer an astrologer in Norway. And I kept saying these things and she kept counteracting them. Cause she's like, well, I live in a socialist country, so we don't have this nearly the amount of ah. stress that you guys have. So you're, you guys are responding to these energies incredibly different than we are. And it was like, good to be reminded that this is a pretty American pace, um, to forget the seasons, forget the, the natural rhythm of nature and to just try to plow through it. And with all of these retrogrades happening, which, you know, just to let people know, um, I'm sure you've read it everywhere, but we have a lot of retrogrades happening. So outside of the major planets, there's quite a few asteroids retrograded too. In total, it's something, what I observe, it's something up to eight astral bodies are retrograded right now. And, um, and it is a natural desire to just kind of slow down. And it's so difficult for us to do that in this culture when there's no space for it. There's no room for it. But I found it actually really interesting that San Francisco just passed the law that mom and dad get six months of maternity leave now. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Just mm-hmm. as I'm leaving the state. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. I know. But it's, it's not that I'm having a baby right now, but I do want a baby at some point. So. Right, right. But it's actually like really, um, it's an amazing time that that happened because it's during this Mars retrograde. And um, also uh, Uranus and Venus were conjunct squaring the Pluto, roughly squaring the Pluto um deal that really started in the late sixties about feminism and all these equality, equal rights. And, and here we see when Venus joins up to dance, all of this, um, and then Juno and all these other asteroids were involved in it, but that we're seeing a socialist movement. I don't know if it should be called socialist, but a, a, a unique, um, turn of events in the American culture with San Francisco paving the way to do something that, you know, most Western countries are already doing. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm stoked. So, uh, speaking of Western countries and the West, uh, so we decided that today we'd like to, we got some, I don't know about you, but I got really, really good feedback on the Zodiac series that we did. Yeah. A lot of people liked it. Cool. Yeah. So, and I think I'm hoping the reason people liked it is because we're, we're educating you all. And that's really the hope that I think all astrologers are trying to do with these formats. And so we want to keep educating. And so one of the pieces that when I was first learning astrology, I did not get was, I did not get the history of astrology. I did not get the branches of astrology. I was just exposed to evolutionary astrology off the bat with not a lot of foundation in the other sects of astrology. And, um, since I've come to Colorado, I started going to the Denver astrology meetup group, which is run by Chris Brennan and Lisa Scheim. 
it's uh, awesome. It's once a month and they bring hosts or guest astrologers in every month. And it's so rich because there's so many different perspectives of astrology. And so I thought that this would be a really good moment to talk about the different branches of astrology, just so that people continue to have a firmer grasp on on what we're talking about and having more education and more access. So if we mention anything about traditional astrology that really rings a bell for you, go look it up, you know, go look up the traditional astrologers, get a reading with them, see the difference between an EA astrologer or a Hellenistic astrologer or a Vedic astrologer or whatever it might be. Um, so I really wanted to bring Lisa on, um, to, to join us today because she comes from a different background that I come from, I know, and I really respect um, her schools of thought and, and the practice where she has, is coming from. But also she knows a lot about astrology because she's um, integral to the Denver Astrology Meetup Group, which is just really, really a wonderful thing, especially if you're all in Colorado, go to the Denver Astrology Meetup Group. It is so educational and informative and you're just in a room full of astrologers it's cool so i highly recommend people go there so do you have anything else you want to add before we bring lisa on danielle oh i just want to say that you know that i think one of the main things to keep in mind too is that there are just so many different ways and paths of studying astrology mm-hmm. and it really just shows that you know from the time that we got here, you know, started exploring this stuff that we've always wanted to, you know, communicate about the mystery of life. And Mm. so there's lots of different ways to tell the same kind of story, you know, Mm. why are we here and what does this mean and how can we interact with um, ourselves in relationship to this bigger experience? So totally, you know, there's not one one right way. And that's to be said about any type of belief, belief system as well. So mm-hmm. whatever your belief system that you subscribe or ascribe or don't, you know, um, it's all great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, one of the conversations I have with a number of astrologers is, you know, when, when individuals are exposed to astrology for the first time and they're like, Oh, I definitely want to learn this. They tend to learn in the school of thought that first comes to them. Um, but I definitely advise seeking out more information and, and finding what does individually, uniquely, organically resonate with each individual. Um, but it would be, it's important to see those different schools and to be able to layer them into our practice to just give it that full, rich, um, peace. Um, because you know, one of the things, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but the first time I started really investigating whole sign houses was because Chris Brennan uh, gave a lecture about it at the astrology meetup group. And I, my head popped off I was devastated and I kind of gave up on astrology for about three months straight. Um, and because I, I had no idea this, that, you know, I, I didn't learn under that school of thought, but as we'll talk a little bit about today, I, I think I've officially migrated to whole sign houses. I think it actually does make more sense. So it's really just rich to keep getting new perspectives and different perspectives. So yeah, diversify. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. All right. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our guest for today, Miss Lisa. Uh, welcome to Bridging Realities, our podcast. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, we're thrilled. We're really, really honored that you're here and that you put up with 
all the difficulties to get you here. <laughs> Thanks for your patience. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Let's see. So um, I am in Denver, Colorado, and um, I practice kind of a blend at this point of, I would say, modern Western astrology and Hellenistic astrology. Um, I originally got into astrology, as you said, Eugenia, you know, kind of what you what you find first, you just sort of get immersed in to begin with. And so for most people, that is modern astrology at this point. And um, so I started reading a lot about that. And then um, probably a good how many years, I'd say a good four or five years later, um, I was introduced to Hellenistic astrology, and I started learning some of those techniques. And um, so I do a blend of those, just to sort of be a brief introduction here. Um, I, what else? I do a little bit of a focus on Saturn returns, or I have for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a consulting website, which is lisashime.com. I'm going to spell it because my name is completely non-phonetic. Um, <laughs> L-E-I-S-A-S-C-H-A-I-M at gmail or sorry well you can you can do lshime at gmail.com to contact me but my website's lisashime.com and then i have a blog that i've written on sporadically called saturnreturnstories.com just about specific saturn returns in the news or people i know or things like that and um yeah i think those are the main things i do elections as well so um that's something that i've recently started taking on a lot more than before Mm. so yeah that's that's a little bit about me Brilliant. Brilliant. That's so awesome. I didn't know that. And I also specialize in Saturn returns. So fellow Saturn friend. (laughs) Yeah. I actually have a number of clients I can send to you girls. Actually, (laughs) they're having an interesting time right now with uh, the Sag Saturn Mm -hmm. returners. But yeah, so I'm, I'm curious, Lisa, I, I know about, uh, what you practice, but I, I would love to know more. Um, I come from, like I said, the evolutionary astrology background, which is very, um, there's a, it's a, it's a different type of person who typically practices it. It's very spiritually inclined and it's very, um, uh, you know, what does the soul want and karma and things of that nature, which I, I respect, but I also really respect what, what you guys do. So I'm, I'm curious introducing us to Hellenistic astrology and some of the roots of it and foundations of it, and maybe some of the unique parts about it, I think could be really helpful for us to know about. Sure. So, um, I think some of the, the main differences, um, are that, let's see, I also use the whole sign house system. It is the earliest, excuse me, the earliest, um, Western, uh, house system, or for that matter, earliest house system period, because Vedic also uses right. whole sign and has continued to rather than um, developed quadrant for the most part. Right. Um, so that is one difference. Um, not everybody who does traditional astrology, I guess when, if we talk about the different branches, mm-hmm. you know, you could say that medieval also is considered traditional, but most of them use quadrant systems, house systems. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I use the whole sign house system. So that's one difference. Um, I think one of the biggest differences is that in traditional astrology, the whole chart is not considered the person or the psyche. So in psychological astrology and much modern astrology, the entire chart is looked at as like a blueprint of the person's 
psyche and the different planets and signs and aspects and so forth have to do with like um, inner dynamics. Mm -hmm. And so using traditional astrology, it is more that the first house and the first house ruler, any planets in the first house and so forth, that is more primary to the person. And the rest of the chart is going to be everything and everyone else in the person's life. Mm-hmm. So concrete people, as far as like, it's not how you feel about your friends, it's your actual friends and what they're going through and that kind of thing. Um, you know, your actual, it's just more concrete oriented, I guess, more um, focused on concrete circumstances and different areas of life. Mm-hmm. And some other major differences, I would say, is that... Um, I think when people are doing psychological astrology, um, you know, there's there's a, there's a lot of talk about how no placement is better or worse than the other. And I think I would agree when you're looking at it from that perspective, you know, because you're talking about inner dynamics. And um, with traditional astrology, there are distinctly better and worse placements. There is no taboo on sort of making judgments about that. But that is possible because the entire chart is not the person. So you're not saying this person is a bad person. You're saying this topic isn't going to go as well for this person as the next person and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear talk about like benefic and malefic planets. And sometimes people have sort of strong emotions around those words, but it's really just showing that certain placements and therefore certain areas of life that those placements rule um, are just going to be experienced as more positive or more negative. Um, and then... Wait, can I can I ask a question yeah. here? Because this is fascinating. Totally um, sure. Yeah, I am totally turned on to the whole science chart as well. And I'm just looking at mine. So I'm, I'm thinking about this because I... I practice and use psychological astrology, you know, natal, natally. And so if I'm looking at my chart, you know, and anyone's looking at their chart, so the first house or the ascendant, the sign of the ascendant would be the first house. That would just be the self. And then all the other houses represent people in your life or circumstances in your life, or Mm -hmm. is it, so it's the houses. And then, then what would the planets be represented of? So the planets also show those circumstances. So they'll maybe rule a certain other house and therefore it'll connect the circumstances of two different houses together. Like for instance, the planet that rules the seventh house is in placed in the tenth house, and that can show, like, um, you go into business with a partner because the ruler of the seventh house of partnership is in the tenth house of career. So that kind of thing. So it can connect um, circumstances together. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too. I still do those, uh, you know, to just see what sign is ruling the house, and then you know the different placements of those planets in different houses and the expression of them. So I suppose that some of that traditional astrology has been adopted, of course, and absorbed into psychological astrology. But I'm, I'm fascinated to, to understand how there are differences, like how you would read somebody's chart and explain that differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe you could even give us an example. Uh, so... I'm going to use my chart now a little bit. I have nothing in my first house and whole sign. So mm-hmm. does that mean I'm so, kind of empty? Nope. <laughs> yeah, no. neither do I. <laughs> no, so it, you don't have to have planets there. So okay. basically the thing that would be most focal to you would be the ascendant sign as well as 
the planet, the rules, the ascendant sign and what house that's placed in, what sign that's placed in and what aspects it's making. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So like, for example, I have Gemini in my first, uh, Mercury is in my ninth in Aquarius. Um, Mm -hmm literally aspecting you know almost everything (laughs) so so that means I'm not so empty after all yeah and I mean that would say you know so you pay a lot of attention to the ascending signs so um just like I think you most people most astrologers normally would right um but you'll also say that mercury therefore is very integral to the type of person you are so very communicative maybe talkative you want to connect you want information and then it's in the ninth house. So wherever the, the ascendant ruler is placed is going to be a major focal point for your life. And the ninth house has to do with higher meaning. Astrology goes there for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, religion, philosophy, higher education, et cetera, other cultures. So that's that's kind of a piece of that, how that would be explained. But the, I think another major piece that this gets at as far as the difference between one of the differences between traditional and modern astrology is there's not so nearly so much focus placed on the the self it's not so much that you get rid of it Mm -hmm. but it's much more about what's going on in my life and that involves many other things rather than me uh which (laughs) i don't know if that makes sense but Mm -hmm. you know like if you're focused on you know, getting a new home, that's going to involve the fourth house. That's not really going to involve too much about your psyche. So, I mean, it's a difference of opinion as far as an approach, as far as um, how you get into these things. But yeah, so, you know, the ascendant ruler and the um, and the sign and, and so forth um, and aspects are going to be much more about you, but everything else is important too. It's just talking about other things. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Fascinating. So, in dealing with transits, then this is going to be a, a more of a focus. I I would assume then that we're going to be paying attention to transits in a heavier way. So, for example, when I'm doing a reading, um, I in a two hour long session, I'll only really talk about transits in the last half hour because the first hour and a half introduction I do with like on an initial reading with a client is very much about me establishing where they come from and, and who they are and, and why they, their psychology is set up the way it is. And then I get into transits and then, and then there on after with follow-up readings, it's focused more on transits, but it, you know, for me as an evolutionary astrologer, I'm very focused on the nodes of the moon, which I don't think you guys even use. Is that right? Oh, no, you do. I mean, they're used, but they're just not focused on they're as much. They're not emphasized, right. And for yeah. evolutionary astrologers, and, and just a, a quick background on evolutionary astrology, um, it's a very, very co- current. It's very modern. And it was developed by an astrologer, uh, Jeffrey Wolf Green. And if you are interested in evolutionary astrology, you kind of have to read his books to understand the basis of it because he literally created it. Um, and it's Pluto and Pluto two. Those are the two books. Um, but then like Stephen Forrest does yesterday's sky and that's on the nodes. And then Jan Spiller has a brilliant book on the nodes, um, astrology for the soul. And so my practice is I spend like the majority of my time at the nodes and at Pluto. That's, that's where I, I, I live in a sense. Um, and so I'm just giving that quick background for 
the astrology I do. But, you know, so after that, as I have follow-ups with clients, I'll certainly talk about transits, especially when shit's going down. But I still really focus on the nodal placement more than anything. But it sounds like you guys might put more emphasis on transits in general. Um, so what's happening now rather than who are you? Is, is that right? Um, I think that's right as far as the focus. But actually, it's interesting that you mentioned transits because transits are given much more importance in modern astrology mm. as sort of the be and end all of timing. And in traditional astrology, there's other much more primary things you look at like um, that are called time lords right. that you look at first before you look at transits because mm. that helps you – it gives you a kind of a greater context to – where like a you are here on a map so it gives you a greater context into like where you are in kind of a sequence of of things being activated and then it shows you which transits will be more or less important at different times so the major backdrop actually is the time lords um and only later the transits can you speak a little bit about the time lords and how that functions sure so i use um primarily a couple of Hellenistic um, Time Lord techniques. One is called Zodiacal Releasing. Um, that's where I put a lot of emphasis because it shows you um, kind of, like I said, a, like a you are here in a map. It shows um, what what the kind of energetic backdrop will be for a long period of time rather than like a certain transit. It might be the sort of major back backdrop might be anywhere from like eight years to 30 years. There are other additional layers then on top of that that are sort of like sub periods that alter things in different ways so you kind of see where someone is it's kind of hard to explain without showing it but um you kind of see where someone is in that sequence and then you can see what are um peak so-called peak periods like very important times in the person's life and you can do it with respect to career with respect to relationships um, even health with some people. And then you can also see which period of time is going to be experienced subjectively as more positive or more difficult. And so it really gives you kind of a concrete map of this. And it's it goes down on lower levels, you know, from the first level where it's eight years to 30 years. Um, it keeps going down on level two and three and four, where you can even get down to like a matter of a few days. And it's really crazy making and fascinating to watch it work that dead on even at that level so i use that i also use annual perfections which is um, a technique that activates each house of someone's chart each year of their life yes. and then it shows which which um so the ruler of that sign will be activated for that year so any transits to or from that planet will be more important than usual and that the themes of that particular house will be more important that year. Um, so I use those two a lot. Cool. That sounds like it's pretty similar to the doshas of uh, Vedic or Indian Indian astrology, like those yeah, the, time periods. Yeah, the dashas and the bhaktis are the major mm -hmm. periods and subperiods of Vedic, and it is very similar to that, yeah. Fascinating. And I just have to say, uh, I went to... I guess, I guess Chris gave a lecture on the perfections and it totally blew my mind. Uh, I had, I was in my, um, 
whatever. I just had a birthday recently around that time. And I was maybe like three months into my birthday, my new year. And I kept thinking, like, I feel like I'm 21 again. I feel like I'm Mm. 21. I feel like, like everything that's happening feels like what was happening when I was 21. And I went to, and like, it it was, it was uncanny situations. Like I went to a croning ceremony, like who goes to a croning ceremony, but I went to one, um, and, and I'm surrounded by women. And I had been to one when I was 21 in Australia and, um, I, I had traveled a lot at 21. I was, I, you know, went to like 10 different countries that year and I was traveling almost every weekend last, uh, in my 32nd year. And I, and then, and then I learn about the, the perfections and sure enough, I'm in the ninth house that this year. Um, and, mm-hmm. it, and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. And it was, it was almost verbatim experiences and I wasn't even attempting to recreate them after I knew it. It was just situations would keep coming to me that I was like, oh my gosh, like, how is this happening? And, um, and now I've observed it now at 33 and so now I look at 22. Is that, that's right. Cause it's, um, uh, 21 actually. So it's 12 years. Oh, right. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So excuse me. So it was my 20th year and now this is my 21st year. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm starting to, cause it's every 12 years. So I, and I really encourage everyone to look at that, um, see where they were 12 years ago and just see the relatable themes to it in general. But now it's in my 10th house and sure enough, my focus has totally gone on to work. And at the time when I was 21, I had gotten back from traveling and I started working, um, as a political organizer. Um, so I was actually running political campaigns and I was really out there and exposed and my work was my life and I got like, you know, overwhelmed by it. And that's kind of what's happening in my career of astrology right now. It's very, it's great. I love it, but it is also like totally consuming me. So I just wanted to tell people that because it's very fascinating to work with. Um, I think it's amazing really. Yeah. Yeah, and you can really see it happening in, sometimes it's harder to see in other people's lives because it's not always something that's very outward. Sometimes it is, and especially depending on if transits are affecting that house that year or or the ruler, things like that, then it'll be kind of more noticeable externally. But sometimes it's just what's going on with someone internally. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, um, you know, last year, this is why it can, I'm actually doing some research right now into the 12-year repetitions of this, and it can be hard sometimes to um, get people to remember what happened 12 right. years before, because unless it was very event-oriented. So, like, last year I was in a third-house perfection year, and um, two weeks after my birthday, when I because it's from one birthday to the next, right. so... Two, two weeks after my birthday, which is when I switched into the third house perfection year, my sister called and said she was going to get married later that year. <laughs> and third house is siblings. Right. And so, you know, it was just as simple as we talked a lot more during that year right. in, in the lead up to, to the getting married. But would I remember that in 12 years if I wasn't doing astrology? Maybe not, you know? Right. Right. Mm. And, and that's how it was when I found out about it. I being completely unconscious to it. I had like an innate feeling that something was similar, but right. When I went and I started looking backwards, I was just like, Oh my God. And I, and I looked forward to this year to see if it would really shift, if that was in fact true. And and sure enough, it it totally has. I'm not traveling Mm -hmm. really at all for work right now. And I want to be home and I want to work. And that's where my focus is. Um, and granted, like the nodes are in my fourth and 10th right now too. So it's kind of just another 
um, layer onto it. But yeah, it's a really interesting to look thing to look at. And, and it's, and it's something to do with what ultimately is rising in your chart. And I don't know if we want to get into that. I, I think if people want more information on the perfections, I definitely think they should reach out to Lisa, um, and maybe look at getting a chart with her. Cause this is such a great, um, a great tool that she has for, to use. So, 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 um, maybe we can also talk about, you, you mentioned Danielle, the Vedic piece of this and, and I'm really would love to see because historically Vedic is came well, you know, not super long, but came well before traditional Western astrology. And, and I think there is of course a, a symbiosis between Vedic and traditional and Hellenistic, like you're speaking about. And I'm wondering if we can bridge those two somehow and maybe talk about the difference between Eastern astrology um, to Western astrology and some of the main differences between the two practices. So I don't know if somebody would like to start. I can start uh, by saying a couple of things. Well, I don't, I don't really have very much to say about it because I haven't done much research. So I don't want to pretend like I'm some expert on this at all. Um, other than I will say I do get a Vedic reading um, or an Indian reading once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do find that in a similar way that working with a whole science house or Placidus house system, it's kind of telling the same story. So interestingly enough, even if my rising sign is different in Vedic astrology, um, it's still telling the story of, you know, how I understand my life and and what certain things are happening. So I'm not really sure how that works. I will leave that up to the great mystery of, you know, just magic. Right. But, um, but I do know that, you know, in Vedic astrology, the, um, outer planets aren't, you know, really spoken about except for in relationship to Rahu and Ketu and the mythology associated with those energies and, um, and its connection to the, you know, religion of Hinduism. So that's pretty much the extent to which I can really get, you know, in the, in the connection to Ayurveda as well. So Mm -hmm. there is even a medical, uh, piece that is associated with Vedic astrology that I think is, not so much part of modern astrology, unless, of course, you are specifically referring to medical astrology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the main differences, of course, uh, between Vedic and Western is the, is the zodiac that we're looking at. So there's the sidereal perspective, and then there's the tropical. And I'll just name that really quickly, and then I'll let you kind of tie it into Hellenistic and traditional, Lisa. But um, the, 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 the main difference that we're looking at is, um, so the zodiac is this set of fixed stars in the sky. Uh, we call them constellations, Aries through Pisces. Um, when we're looking at them in Western astrology, of course, we're giving them 29 and a half degrees, you know, 30 degrees apart from each other. Exactly. The truth is, is those constellations are not a, a specifically a particular you know, they're all different sizes, actually, you know, so some constellations are much larger than the others. Um, And so when we're talking about traditional Western astrology, we're talking about the zodiacal wheel, really based on the the equinoxes and solstice. So saying that every, um, uh, you know, uh, vernal equinox, we are moving into Aries, and that it's almost... 
it doesn't mean that the planet is necessarily in the sign of Aries in the constellation of Aries. It just means that this is naming the, 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 the initiation of the new uh, zodiacal year and that we, that, that we put it into the four quadrants based on the relationship of the earth to the sun, um, that we go through the four seasons in the Western hemisphere, well, in all hemispheres, excuse me, but with Western, we're looking at the Northern hemisphere seasons. Um, and that tropical is looking at where the planets actually are. Um, and, uh, because of the time that traditional astrology was created, yes, we were in fact at zero degrees Aries on the spring equinox, but because of the procession of the equinox, which would be worth a full show, I think actually to describe, cause it's actually really hard for people to wrap their heads around the procession of the equinox, but essentially we, we spin like a top in the North, the North pole changes its point in the sky. So this is what gives us the age of Pisces. And now we're moving to the age of Aquarius, but that because we're on this, this wobble, we actually aren't necessarily in the constellation of Aries when we say we are, um, that's the sidereal view. Um, so it's, it, what shifts every seven, it's seven degrees or a degree every 74 years. Is that right, Lisa? It's like one degree, mm-hmm. 74 years, uh, something like that. Some, yeah. Something to the, yeah, the <laughs> Right. So, so we're technically, I don't even, well, we're probably in Taurus right now, technically in terms of the earth being in the constellation, but it's, it's not totally accurate in some ways with tropical tropical is looking tropical. Western is looking more at based on the seasons on the equinoxes and, and sidereal is based on where we actually are in the sky. I, I hope that was a, a way for people to understand. Did that, did that make sense? Is that, is that understandable? Yeah, so. Okay, cool. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> you know, constellations is one thing. Um, the, when the sun hits the equinoxes is another, right. which is Western astrology signs. And then where, um, where it lines up actually in the sky right now is Sidereal. So yeah, three different things. Yeah. And so, you know, we know that Vedic is what, 5,000 years old roughly and traditional Western is about 2,500 years old. Yeah. So how did these meet and how would you say they, they relate to each other for you, Lisa, if, if there's some kind of bridge between those two? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm definitely not um, the historian, but um, but I do know some major pieces. Um, so basically, as happened in a lot of places and times, um, a certain piece of astrology came and melded with the indigenous astrology of whatever was going on there. Right. Um, and so there was a nakshatra-based astrology right. that India already had. And then there was a transmission of the Western astrology as well. Um, the Yavanajataka is like one major book that people mention a lot um, in terms of the transmission. So you'll see that there's quite a lot of similarities between Vedic and Hellenistic because that was the meeting point and they're both using a lot of the same things. So they're both using whole sign houses. Um, they're both using um, major dignities and I'm definitely not a Vedic person. I just know a little bit about it, but I don't practice it. So I'm not going to get in too much to the details there and let someone else speak to that at some point who's a practitioner, but, but they both definitely focus on strengths and weaknesses of planets and um, how able they are based on the specifics 
of the chart to fulfill what they're trying to do, with what they represent in the chart. And it's not an assumption that any given planet in anyone's chart has the same capability to fulfill that, that thing. So um, I think that's a major similarity. Um, definitely the Dasha and Bhakti system, the, the Time Lord system in Vedic is very similar to the zodiacal releasing in Hellenistic. Um, yeah, what else? Um, there are certain aspects that are different, like Vedic has some special aspects, like eight signs ahead for certain planets, things like that. So there are definitely differences as well, as well as, of course, starting from the sidereal point and therefore different planets ruling different things um, in each of the charts. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd say that there, those are some of the technical similarities. And then there is a greater focus, I think, in both on what's going on in the overall life and not just the inner life. And so there's a lot more focus on, um, you know, like children or your, your income or different things and how things will change in those areas. And, um, it's interesting because this is sort of, I guess, a side note, but it's interesting to me because I remember reading a Vedic book that was taught, someone was talking about how did I, I was so spiritually oriented and how did I end up doing this thing that was about, you know, when am I, when am I going to make some more money or when am I, you know, when am I going to get married and things like that. Um, it's kind of an interesting shift in philosophical perspective, I think, which could be its own long tangent, but um, mm -hmm between modern and traditional astrologies, which is that I think on the face of it, um, when people aren't used to traditional astrology, it sounds a little bit more like material oriented or like less spiritually oriented or things like that. But I think um, it begins to feel more if you learn more about it as that you know, the entire life is spiritual. It's not just, it's not that the, just the inner life is spiritual. And so it's, you know, all of it is. And, um, and so it's not, I think sometimes when people aren't super familiar with these things, it, and even to me, like I had major misconceptions before I learned about some of this stuff, um, you know, it can sound really foreign and also, um, just antithetical, you know, to what you want to be doing or what you think is important. And um, I guess, yeah, definite tangent, but I guess, you know, there's, no, there's different, I, I, definite. It's awesome. I think such a great point too, because it brings it back to that. I, I'm going to mess up his name, um, Chardon or something like that. It, he said, uh, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think that that's such a great um, way to say that, you know, it's like what, what makes making money and having a home and, uh, having a career, you know, unspiritual. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of brings in actually a, a very modern concept into that traditional focus of, you know, how we've separated those things from ourselves or how we've looked at earthly matters as if they're, you know, unspiritual or not divine. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. And I think that, you know, modern astrology would probably fall into the class of new age. And I think I actually was just talking about this. I gave a talk about this, that the new age 
movement, so to speak, um, is really no different than the religious movement. There's so many things you're supposed to do to be a good person in the new age community. So you're supposed to meditate, you're supposed to do yoga, you're supposed to like eat well, you're supposed to, there's all these things you're supposed to do to, to be um, a health, a healthy spiritual person. But, and, and I think, you know, there's this idea then if you have wealth, you're a bad person, you clearly are a bad person. Or if you have a large house, you're clearly a bad person and you're not spiritual. Um, I went to a talk about, about money recently, money and spirituality. And, and this guy's like, well, Walmart's the devil. And you know, they're not spiritual. And the guy made, uh, his name is John Martini. I love him. Dr. John Martini, And he made a really good point. He said, how dare you say Walmart's not spiritual? Look at how many jobs they create. Like, because of Walmart, there's roads on the street. Like, on the, you know, we, we keep the economy moving because there's people who need things at a lower cost. Walmart figured that out. They started serving the community. And they hired a bunch of people. And, yeah, they made a lot of money. And they've destroyed a lot. But they've created a lot. And I think that um, I'm going on my own tangent right yeah. now. But, um but it's true. I think that, like, I've, I've talked to a couple of evolutionary astrologers, and I'll ask them, how do you feel about traditional and Hellenistic and things of this nature? And they're like, oh, it's too cold. It's too rigid. It's, a, it's, it's kind of a new age response to it. Like, it's too linear. It's too booky. Um, I'm more into the spirit and into the soul's journey. And I'm kind of like, you're all full of shit. You know, like, it's, it's the whole thing, right? It's the whole thing. Like, everybody is on a spiritual path, ultimately. Whether we have money, we don't have money whether we are meditating all day or, you know, shoveling shit all day, we're all here as a part of this ecosystem that is, is, is ultimately spiritual. So that's a little bit, a huge side note, but, um, it just kind of <laughs> came up when you were talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think like one of the major differences between modern and traditional in general is, um, and, and kind of misconceptions around that, like you were saying, is, um, you know, all of the rules and all of the specifics right. and all of it being predictive and concrete. But what's interesting to me is, um, and I, I sympathize in, in some ways because I had similar reactions, I think, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the interesting things is, like, when you learn these techniques and you actually see them all working, it's almost like when you first learn astrology at all and then you see it's working and then you know people who don't believe that it works and right. you can see that it's working in their life whether or not they believe it you know right. and and so I think the traditional rules are the same where once you learn these these rules and these techniques you see it's it's been working that much more precisely and specifically in people's lives whether or not they want it to oh, so yeah. then you have to sort of really philosophically reorient or metaphysically reorient and say, you know, how is that meaningful if things are more, um, you know, more faded than I thought or things like right. that. So let's talk about that a, a little bit, because I know that for modern astrology, but certainly evolutionary astrology, prediction is not the goal. Um, so I really feel like the clients that I work with are, it's very psychoanalytical. So Danielle and I actually met in a, a graduate program 
where we now have master's degrees in, in counseling and psychotherapy and art therapy for me a little bit as well. And, and so we come at it from literally from a therapist perspective. And so we were trained in therapy, right? So sitting with an individual and um, helping them reorient their mother issues or, um, you know, strength-based therapy is, is how I practice. So I'm always looking at the strength of the chart, which you kind of um, spoke to earlier. And, and so very, I don't look at predictions at all. Like I've, I've never made a prediction for a client in my life. Um, I might say something to the effect of, yes, you're in Saturn return. And so, um, these are some things to be aware of and to be able to work consciously with, but I don't know what, how that's going to look for you. I don't have the, the, the first idea of how that's going to look for you, but I do know that the emphasis with what you're doing with traditional, um, but I also with Vedic is very heavy on prediction. Um, am I right about that? And if I am, mm-hmm. could you speak more to that and the power of predictive astrology and how that can be helpful for people? or harmful for people? Sure. Um, I think that, you know, to some extent, we all do some prediction. It just might be a matter of extent. So if sure. you're saying someone's in a, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying overall, just just the sense that it's not completely foreign. For instance, if you're telling someone that they're in their Saturn return, you can tell them when it ends, right. you know? Right. You can say, and it'll be done December of next year, mm-hmm. and then they that's a prediction, you know? Yeah. It's not specific as far as what will happen, but right. it is in terms of the energy of a particular time and when it will be more focused on that versus when it will mm-hmm. shift. And framing so, framing the experiences in a, in a larger, broader way, but definitely, yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. I do frame the experiences. Like, yes, you're in a fourth house transit, so maybe there's an emphasis on the home and I, you know, I might not say when it's going to mm-hmm. start or when it's going to end, but I'm, I'm definitely framing the energy. So, yeah. 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 So there's something in common there. Right. Um, and then as far as more prediction, I mean, I, I still do different levels, I guess, with different people, depending on what they're looking for out of a consultation. Okay. Um, I did one just the other day where it was really much further out predictively than I normally do a good five years out. And I don't normally do that, but um, she had reason to, to be asking. She was near retirement. And so asking about specifics around that and what, what they might be able to do afterwards and so forth, what she might want to focus on. So I did look that far out. Um, I think it, be, I think in some ways it becomes um, I mean, th- certain things ha- have to happen between now and then, and therefore I feel like it, you get a little bit on shakier ground, but right. then not totally, because you can still see with some of these predictive tools what will what will be the focus or what will be the um, the quality of the time. So I guess um, I think the hardest ones, honestly, are where, you know, let me see, what, what is the most helpful about it? I think what is most helpful is framing um, the context of where people are in a sort of a larger sequence of things. And so you can do that, it, like in modern astrology, there's, for instance, the progressed moon cycle, right? That, right? So that's kind of like a longer cycle where you could say, well, you're actually in the balsamic moon phase, so it makes sense that you're letting go of things right now and not sure about what's going to happen next and that kind right. of thing. Right. So there are some crossovers there. So 
in zodiacal releasing, I'll say, well, you know, you're leading up to like a peak period and that's going to happen for you in say two years or something. And what you're doing is like a preparation for that. And this particular um, group of signs in your chart is more difficult. So it's going to feel harder right now. But then when you get to that next period, it's going to feel um, like it's going to let up. It's it's not going to be as hard as it is now. So there's there's usefulness in things like that in sort of framing the larger context as well as, um, I guess, what else? I was going to say the, the flip side is it's really difficult when people, you know, people are going into like a really difficult time and it's going to last a while. Right. Yeah. Um, and you can't really just say that, you know, right. because there's there's differences between what these tools can show you as a practitioner and what it's what it's prudent or wise to say to the um, client that will be helpful. Yeah. And, you know, for me, when I encounter situations like that, and this is where I find counseling as a really helpful tool is that, you know, I kind of ask leading questions to try to elicit their intuitive sense that these things are happening because usually there is a sense that um, there's something kind of stirring underneath the surface or uh, curiosity or, you know, uh, even like a psychic premonition about things before they happen that I think a lot of people aren't necessarily honest with themselves about. But when asked, they'll, you know, kind of provide like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I have been thinking about that. And so I don't necessarily plant seeds, but um, invite kind of that internal conversation of looking at that piece because it's, it's bound to come up anyways, you know, through the, whatever transit they're going through. So I think I'm, you know, even though I use modern astrology, I use it in a similar way where it's kind of like light predicting where I kind of give a timing of, you know, an overall generalized energy of, you know, the, the archetypes that are there and how they're expressed and where in, in their life it might be expressed um, and then, yeah, I mean, just kind of saying like the possibilities, because of course, you know, every planet has a spectrum of expression. So, um, sometimes people might express like a certain essence of Uranus and, uh, other people might express it a different way, even if they have it in the same sign, you know? So, uh, but it is an interesting conversation just in general of how to work with that predictive piece, um, without, you know, with not being a fortune teller, but instead just telling, kind of giving an interpretation of their, this reflection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I, this, it seems to be saying the same thing, Lisa, but would you say overall that, that traditional is more geared towards predictive than psychological or you know, is that the main mm -hmm. emphasis of it? I don't know that it's the main emphasis, but okay. it's, I think that it comes out more because it's a lot more possible, frankly, to make specific predictions right. when you have this um, wider array of tools at your disposal. You right. can see things a lot more specifically and therefore if you want, or if the, rather if the client is wanting, um, you know, you can do more predictive stuff. Right. I think it really depends on what people are looking for. It's not so much that traditional is about like wanting to tell everybody the future, you right. know, it's yeah. just, it, I mean, it is more about what the clients are seeking, but 
there is a value in prediction and that it's it's not necessarily like a bad thing. Like you mentioned, you know, not being fortune tellers. And it's an interesting thing with some of the um, laws against the anti-fortune telling laws that astrologers ran up against like a few decades ago, especially like in the really heavily in the 80s and some of the 90s. Um, I was the legal chair for AFAN, or I'm now the presiding officer. So I got familiar with some of the past cases around that. And it seems like really the direction that a lot of the community went with some of that is trying to differentiate astrology from fortune telling, which on the one hand, I kind of understand because that's how the laws were written. And so you want to like distance yourself and say, that's not what I am. You don't understand what I'm doing. But at the same time, you know, some astrologers are like, no, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm doing fortune telling. You're just, you're just thinking it's a bad thing. Right. Right. You know, well, right. and I'm doing it well rather than that being inherently like not possible or fraudulent. Well, right. And I think that as astrologers in general, at least in the collective of, of this culture that we're in in America, I, I do think, especially like the people I'm, the culture I'm surrounded by, I say astrologer, and that's immediately where their mind goes is to fortune telling and crystal balls and palm palmistry and tarot and and mm -hmm. all of those practices. And and I, I I like to pride myself on like, no, I have a I have a master's degree, and, you know, like I mm -hmm. I'm very you know science based, and and I I do feel I am I I feel um you know. Uh, I, I don't I don't predict the future so much and and I and I partly don't really want to I like to like I said give frames to it but um it's not my strength and I would always I actually always tell people if they want more future stuff I send them actually to to you and Chris to be completely honest I'm like well here's mm -hmm. some, some people who like they'll be good at that and, and do that but that's not my role here I'm going to be working with people in a really different way um but it's it is such an interesting dance to to try to represent ourselves as professional while the, the primary archetype of astrology is the fortune teller and, and how do we dance with both of those categories and, and integrate both of them, um, in a sense. So that's really, really interesting. Um, and you mentioned, um, your organization, would you mind telling a little bit more about, about the organizations, uh, that you're part of, so we can just get some more information out to the listeners about maybe if they want to join your organizations or get more information about traditional astrology in general or Hellenistic? Sure. So as far as Hellenistic, I mean, I would steer people to, um, Chris, you know, Chris's work, Chris Brennan, um, astrologer.org, or, or sorry, sorry, I'm typing while I'm talking, that doesn't work. Um, so, um, so Chris Brennan, astrologer.com. Um, and he has Hellenistic courses that he teaches online. And I think that would be a really great way for people to learn. Um, and not just because I'm biased, but um, he does, you know, he does um, do some really good work with that and teaches really well. I think it makes things understandable for people who haven't um, encountered it before. Mm -hmm. So as far as getting into Hellenistic astrology, I would say that's that's major. Um, Demetra George also does really great work with Hellenistic astrology yes. and has a really interesting background because <clears throat> she started uh, very much as a modern astrologer and yep. actually became famous for her work with asteroids yep. and then later encountered the Hellenistic material and had like a major sort of, you know, um, break and like reorientation, um, and, you know, sort of more major for her, but I understand now you had a sort of similar thing going on, but she had, you know, a 
big career built up around it already. So I would say um, she's also a great person to get in touch with. Um, the organization I was referencing is AFAN, one of the um, international astrological organizations out there. It's the Association for Astrological Networking, and you can find it at AFAN, it's AFAN.org. Um, and historically, um, one of the major things that actually grew out of was in the 80s, the, the need to counter some of these um, legal challenges to astrologers. There were actually a lot of astrologers getting arrested for doing astrology, which is mm. thankfully not nearly as prevalent now. But so we, um, we keep the legal files um, for sort of um, assistance if anyone starts get, to get into issues with like a local or, or state law, um, because there are laws on the books still against fortune telling. They're just not usually enforced very often. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and it's also about networking. So we bring astrologers together. We usually do hospitality suites at some of the conferences and so forth. And um, yeah, and just um, we also do a media watch where we look out for um, sort of how astrology is being represented in the news. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes write in about it and sometimes sort of just leave it be, but let people let other practitioners know what's going on. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's some of what what's going on with that. That's right. awesome. I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, Danielle, when I first met Chris and Lisa, um, Lisa can tell you, uh, I was saturated in the Santa Fe culture of, you know, this new age mentality. I, I don't know modern astrology or I want to call it new age. I don't know what else to call it. And it's all spirit and it's all this. And, and I, I went you know, I started coming out of my little cave and started going to the Denver astrology meetup. And I was just like, holy shit. Like I didn't, I, there's so little I've been informed on. I, I, <laughs> I've only been taught evolutionary astrology. Like, no, I was never even, the other schools were never even really mentioned to me when I was um, starting to, to learn this information. Um, and so it started to really expand my mind. And of course, I'm not Demetra George by any stretch of the imagination, but I went through a kind of breakdown like she did with the whole sign houses because she left for a year, right? She took a year mm -hmm. off. Um, mm -hmm, at the, least, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. to, to transition because you really, it changes your whole frame of mind when you're, when we're rooted in one practice and then, and we, we're going into the, into the new perspective and, and it is full and it's robust. And at this point, you guys have done nothing but, um, reedify your points over and over again that there's there's real real value to to the traditional astrologies and I'm just always blown away by the speakers that come who come from that background it's always fascinating and I just wanted to um, as we're kind of closing up this episode I just wanted to mention that we've only really talked about just like a, a minuscule few branches of this huge practice and uh, you know, we have to consider that there's Tibetan astrology, that there's Chinese astrology, esoteric astrology continues to get bigger and bigger. I hear more and more people talk about that. Um, there's mundane astrology. There's, um, you know, there's agriculture astrology. There's there's rectification astrology, which some people just specialize in um, getting the time. 
um, rights. And so there are just a number of them. And I know in the courses that I teach, I, I try to give a pretty brief overview of each of the branches of astrology um, when I'm teaching, because I, I feel like I really needed that when I was first learning astrology and I didn't really get that foundation and I didn't really understand where astrology had come from. Um, and I think that now, especially because of, of Chris's work, um, and when we're saying Chris, everyone, it's Chris Brennan. So definitely look him up. He's great. Um, and, and we've mentioned him quite a few times on the podcast, Lisa, and, um, and the astrology podcast that he runs, but, with all of the history that he's collected and I know, I don't know with like Robert hand and all those guys, um, it's, it's, you need, I think we need to know that if we're going to practice astrology, we need to know where this came from, who created this. And, um, the differences really, if we don't even know the differences of all the different branches, that's okay. But definitely understanding the difference between Western and Eastern, I think is wildly helpful, um, to be able to, just have confidence when we're practicing astrology because um, it's good to have that information. And especially when we're meeting people on the street who are like, oh, you're full of shit, you're an astrologer. When we can have this huge amount of information, I don't think that people can look at it at us like that. I think that we're really um, strengthening the practice when we have a broad education of the practice. So, um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention that there's still like a hundred other branches that we <laughs> haven't discussed today, but you mind if I throw out a few more? Please, it's absolutely. actually fresh on my mind because you know we're getting UAC started for 2018. UAC mm -hmm. is the the biggest astrology conference in the world that happens every four to six years, and so we've been working on um, planning that for 2018. And so we're getting the tracks together recently, and so it was you know my mind's very much on like all of the different branches right. being represented. Um, so um, yeah, some of the ones you definitely mentioned are, are um, out there as well as horary, which right. is the practice of asking a specific question to an astrologer and then them interpreting the answer based on the specific time and place that they receive the question. Um, so it's, it's more of like an, a specific oracle type of practice. Um, there's electional, which is choosing the best date and time to um, do something important like get married or start a business or things like that um, in order to get the best possible results. Um, there's medical, which is usually based on medieval these days. Um, right. um, some people specifically specialize in medical or even like subsets of that, like fertility astrology, um, like when to best try in order to get pregnant. There's financial astrology, which is um, people focusing on the stock markets or, or specific mm -hmm. company charts. Um, there's business astrology, which is sort of similar to that, but more focused on the the life cycle of a specific business, um, when to do certain things, when, when are going to be peak times versus times that might be cutting back, um, et cetera. There's, um, locational, which right. is based on, um, what actual geographical places will sort of emphasize different energies in your charts or de-emphasize. Um, and then, um, as far as historically, we've been talking about traditional, but, um, really Hellenistic is what we've been talking about, which is the earliest Western traditional. And then after that, medieval developed out of that. So medieval and then Renaissance astrology, some people will call that the later medieval tradition. And that's very much something we haven't talked about, but there are a lot of contemporary practitioners out there that still do that, so I don't want to leave them out. Um, that uh, William Lilly um, type things, people who right. follow John Frawley, those are some, some names. Um, 
And then Vedic is traditional, basically. Some people throw in the outer planets at this point, but some people don't. Um, but it's it's had a much more unbroken lineage. So um, that's why it's it started and never had the major break in transmission that we had in the West, which is why it still maintains um, a lot of the things that uh, were foundational in the beginning, whereas we've had to sort of um, rediscover them. And then within modern, a lot of people will talk about psychological or a lot of people talk about modern astrology as a whole and I definitely do that sometimes as a shorthand but there's still different um, approaches as far as psychological which is when you really view the whole chart as like the inner psyche versus humanistic which there's a lot of like overlap between these but you know the humanistic came more out of the I'd say the um, I don't want to say just the 70s but that was like a big movement there where it's more about sort of like how to optimize um what's in your chart and build on your strengths. So there's definitely like a lot of crossover between humanistic and psychological and then evolutionary, as you've talked about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And then Uranian symmetrical, which is something that I almost never hear about, but apparently there's a lot of people who still practice that. I just haven't learned very much about it, but it's very much based on midpoints, midpoint pictures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I just want to say with evolutionary astrology, right. It came out of the seventies as well. Like Jeff, Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Wolf Green, who created it, is still alive. You know, this is very, very new. And and I think a lot of it comes from the Rahu K2 out of Vedic, because that is the nodes of the moon. And I actually know a number of astrologers who use the nodes of everything. So um, the, the nodes of Jupiter, the nodes of Mars, and so on and so forth. And that gets really, really, really complex and actually quite interesting. I, I, I really appreciate all those nodes. But um, but, but I think there's, they might've got, cause that's when the East was coming to the West, like with that Pluto Uranus conjunction in the six, in the sixties and seventies. And, um, and I know that in Vedic, they consider Rahu K2 planets, even though it's just the mm-hmm. elliptic point in the sky, it's, they're considered bodies of, of something. Um, so they're really valued hugely in the Vedic world. And I, I can't imagine, I would, I would imagine that a lot of, evolutionary astrology comes from the emphasis of that in the east um yeah just mm -hmm. go ahead no go ahead oh i was just gonna say yeah they just like interpret them differently but they definitely do consider them as planets yeah Mm -hmm. right totally so um well geez gosh this is honestly like i would keep having this conversation for like the next hour if it was um feasible but this is a really rich conversation lisa uh, I'm thrilled to have your perspective on this show, I must say. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you wouldn't mind giving people your information again, in case they want to get a reading from you or get more information. And I just want to plug too for, um, yeah, Lisa's part of like so many of these organizations. So uh, like, like, you know, what's out there. You have such, you, you have such a vast knowledge of, of the resources out there. So if people are, if we're not fulfilling that for everybody, <laughs> reach out to Lisa. So, uh, so she'll give you your for her information again because it's really, really helpful. Sure. Thanks. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, uh, my website's lisashime.com. So it's um, L-E-I-S-A-S-C-H-A-I-M.com. Um, you can also look on SaturnReturnStories.com. I just write on that sort of less frequently. Um, but my consulting site is where I do... Um, natal um, consultations um, with or without predictive, as well as electional um, work for starting important new ventures. And um, 
Yeah, uh, definitely. As Eugenia said, check out the Denver Astrology Group if you're anywhere yes. around in Colorado. We meet on the second Saturday of every month. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're way up in the mountains or something, it's worth the drive, people. Um, and I think that you and Chris are very important astrologers. I, I say that a lot. I like I I teach people around Colorado. I'm like, if you don't meet these people, like you're missing, you're gonna miss out on it because these you guys, you know, you're doing a lot of really really interesting, huge important work. I think in the field of astrology, and um, people should meet you guys because it's you're great. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, it's so nice to be able to you know connect with other people in general, um, mm -hmm. you know, when you're getting into astrology, because you can see much more what's out there more quickly than sort of trying to figure it out on your own, I think. Yeah. And I think for like both Danielle and I, I think so much of us is self-taught and I, it took me a few years before I started to feel comfortable meeting other astrologers. Um, I was really, really intimidated, I think, for a long time, or, or maybe I thought I didn't fit in, or I was going to be weird and nobody would like me. But over, but over time, um, I've started to come out of the astrology closet or my own closet into the astrology world. And every time I meet astrologers, it just fills me up each time. Even if I'm intimidated, it's so rich to talk to people who view life through a similar lens. So mm -hmm. if you aren't in Colorado, look up the meetups in your area and go find other astrologers and talk to them. And, and it's a really neat community of people to be associated with. So. Well, any last thoughts from you, Danielle? Uh, I don't think I have any, but this has been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, it's been brilliant, hasn't it, Danielle? Aren't, yeah. You, aren't uh, yeah. you stoked about this one? I, I think this is a great episode. I'm, I can't wait to re-listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to explore this in more depth and see mm -hmm. what I can discover. It's really exciting. Yeah, it's funny. I've been like watching the wheels in your head turn this whole episode, Danny. Yeah, <laughs> I really have. I've been like, oh, I know what she's 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 thinking about it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Danny. Yeah, thank you, Lisi. Lisa. Not Lisa. Lisa. <laughs> You're so welcome. It's it's great to talk with you both. Awesome. Yes, right. lovely. Thanks for joining us. And I think soon we're gonna. We're going to have some other really cool astrologers coming up on the episodes to talk about lots of different astrology topics. So we will see or hear you guys all soon, or you'll hear us soon, and, and we love you much. Good luck with the uh, Mercury retrograde. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. All right. All right. See you later. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.